Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's a great, it's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to inside supercars joining me this week it's from speed cafe stefan bartholomeus the 2014 journalist of the year Thanks, Craig. Never, never missed the intro, but you sound a bit unwell there, mate. I am struggling, so uh, I know, fortunately, with yourself and Lachlan Mansell from Wakefield Park, there'll be no need for me to speak too much. Good evening, Lachlan. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Stefan. Interesting, interesting little period now in between the uh, last of the Super Sprints at Sydney and on to the Sandown 500 and plenty to talk about tonight with testing this week in two states. Stefan, you've been out to Queensland Raceway for the past two days where you you saw the super soft tyres in action. Yeah, well, I wasn't out there personally, but um, we did have uh, Speaker Face staff on the ground there for the tyre test and V8 Supercars were very keen to to stress that there was no comment going to be made from anyone within V8 Supercars Dunlop or Red Bull, specifically about the tyre compounds. So in traditional uh, V8 Supercars style of trying to shut everything down, there's not all that much exciting to talk about, but um, they did run through four different compound options as they assess what they're going to do for the formats next year. Um, The Super Soft, there were two different versions of that and then two different versions of the existing uh, compounds. So... um, They'll obviously report all that data back to the commission and, and decide from there. It's interesting, isn't it, Lockie? A, a, a potential story, and they're just not wanting to give out information to run it. Well, you can understand their reasons for wanting to keep it under wraps for now until they've made a final decision on what's going to happen next year. Obviously, testing tie compounds and that sort of thing is pretty sensitive information, but what they're talking about for next year is making the what is currently the soft compound tyre, the standard control tyre to use the Formula 1 terminology I suppose you would call it the prime tyre and then go to a newer super soft tyre which would then become the option tyre but one of the things that's interesting is when you go back to 2009 which was when the soft tyre was first introduced you'll remember that it was significantly quicker than the hard tyre at the time but it also degraded a lot more rapidly as well. And it just seems that since then there's been this convergence between the soft and the hard tyre where the soft tyre doesn't seem to be that much faster than the hard tyre anymore and it doesn't seem to degrade as quickly as it used to and maybe that's constraining the team's strategy a little bit more. So, for example, at Sydney Motorsport Park at the previous event we saw... At one stage on the Sunday before it rained, Chaz Mostert on the hard tyres was pulling away from cars that were on the soft tyres. And you have to ask the question, um, if they are going to go to a, a super soft tyre, um, you know, how much difference will there be between that and the other tyres that are available? Mm. Stefan, the important thing is tyre degradation and drop-off. 
but when you're using a controlled tyre, the drop-off can only be the same because after the first year of everyone trying something different, they all go to the same strategy and it's basically the exact same cars on the exact same tyres with the exact same wear racing a competitor with the exact same tyre, the exact same car and the exact same wear. Yeah, that's what we see no matter what the format is. It sort of uh, shakes out to uh, to a standard strategy, but um, it's also part of the, it's a bit of uh, disagreement between drivers and, and teams as to whether you do want high-deck tyres or, or just a tyre that offers a consistent high grip level that gives the drivers confidence to, to have a go. And, you know, it obviously wasn't tyre-related, it was, it was circuit-related, but you go back to Eden Valley and when the grip level was up due to the new track surface, there was a, a hard tyre race with, with action pretty much all the way through. The drivers were just mega confident and throwing it down the inside, left, right and centre. And um, it was more more interesting than, than the soft tyre race on the same day. Um, and we saw another one, I think it was Ipswich, the one after, where the hard tyre race had lots of action and then the soft tyre race didn't. So it's not necessarily that high deck is um, is the answer. And, and we've seen races like Barber Gallo where the surface provides the deck that... Um, everyone just, just creeps around for the first 80% of the race because they're just trying to look after the rubber. So um, certainly just making a high-deck compound isn't, isn't the answer to all the, all the questions. Mm. And the, the interesting thing is they didn't want to release any data, but a uh, media organisation with enough resources could just sit out there and with a handheld stopwatch and someone who's capable in using it get some fairly accurate times on, you know, first lap, fifth lap, tenth lap, uh, I think it was, a, what, a 60-kilometre run that they were trying to achieve on the tyres, Stefan? Yeah, but that's one of those things as well where they're doing their tyre testing with one driver and one car on the track at Queensland Raceway where, as we all know, that place probably more than any other is so changeable through the day that you could have a super soft on at, at midday and it would struggle to do the times of a, of a regular tyre at, at 9am or 5pm when it's sort of happy hour late in the day. So... They only had one set of each as well, as I understand it, one set of each of the compounds. So I hope uh, hope Jamie didn't lock a front or something early in a run because then you'd get no data. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's certainly uh, it's done on minimum resources by the looks of it, the old V8 tyre testing. Well, I think that's the series in general. And, and whilst you say that, it's still one of the best series in the world. So it's obviously uh, not suffering too much from... Uh, the lack of resources um, down there in Victoria at uh, your sister track Lachlan a lot of the Victorian teams getting a run and interesting comment uh, actually I think it was on Speed Cafe um, probably next week we'll see it in News Limited but uh, FPR are saying that they need more speed um, Tim Edwards is certainly not not lying down it's a fairly predictable comment they're making. I think any other team manager or team principal in his position would have made exactly that same sort of comment, Craig. Um, they are leading the championship. They are the, the team that has the front-running pace and the advantage over everybody else at the moment. Um, I mean, what do you expect that Tim Edwards is going to say? Oh, I think we can just relax a bit now. <laughs> of course he's not going to say that. He, he's going to suggest that they continue to develop their cars and that they need to keep pushing for improvements because that's obviously how they got into the position that they're in in the first place. Mm. Uh, uh, Stefan, as I said, that was your story from memory or, or Speed Cafe's story? Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know whether to claim it now as one of my own because Lockie just tore it up. But 
Yeah, like a lot of people see it as uh, obviously ProDrive have got the, the best end of the aero, uh, aero argument and they're absolutely smoking everyone. So um, one theory is that they could just pretty much free wheel to the end of the championship and just uh, <laughs> it's going to be which ProDrive car that wins it rather than uh, if they win it. But um, as you know, Tim sort of pointed out in, in the body of the story and, and it was written that um, you know, Triple Eight are really coming, coming pretty hard and rolling out new cars and obviously they were, they were out there testing QR and we've seen in the last two events that like they've made a clear clear step forward um, it looked like Jamie really instigated that engineering shake up in July before Townsville uh, which which showed they're not, not afraid to sort of uh, really change things up within their own organisation to uh, to get this done and to try to roll over the top of ProDrive so um, yeah they need to they need to be pressing on because um, AAA are coming Hmm. Now, um, Stefan, Bunkum and Premer getting their first laps for 2015. Do you rate these internationals who are returning? Yeah, well, both of the teams clearly do. To have to have them back, obviously, um, Alex Premer is a fairly known quantity uh, to, to all of us, and, and especially to the guy that Gary's because he did uh, two full seasons there. It was a real shame um, that he didn't get to do 2014 again as a full-time driver because of the Volvo deal. Saw Robert Dalgren moved into there, which I don't think, certainly it's what, don't think it's what Gary Rogers wanted, but he was uh, sort of hands tied there with his new manufacturer partner. And I think really it's emphasised this year with the Marcus Ambrose situation, how hard it it was for the likes of Prema and Dalgren too, admittedly, but just with the limited miles and limited tyres that um, it takes a couple of years to, to get into it. So um, Alex certainly showed he had the pace Last year in the Enduros, he, he made a couple of little a little moments that the team were wincing at in terms of just shoving it down the inside at Sandown, and he had a little off there at Bathurst as well, which was kind of his, his flaw in when he was full-time, that he made a few blues and he just charged a bit hard. But um, certainly him and Scotty are a great combination, and I think they Alex even stays at Scotty's place in, in Melbourne across the Enduro Cup, so they get on really well. In terms of, in terms of Alex Bunkham, yeah, obviously he he was impressive last year. It was hard to know how he was going to go, and straight away at Sandown he showed that he could could cut it there there um, with uh, with the other co-drivers. So I think he's he's pretty good there. And Lachlan, what was your take? I thought that Alex Prem was those uh, small blunders aside, one of the standout co-drivers last year in terms of raw speed and. A lot of that has to do with the fact that he had two prior full-time seasons of V8 supercar racing under his belt beforehand. So it was a pretty much a no-brainer for GRM to sign him again alongside Scott McLaughlin. Um, Alex Bunkham was equally impressive, I thought. Obviously not quite as quick as Prima, but obviously he had nowhere near the full-time experience or any V8 supercar experience to speak of before last year and he adapted himself with great distinction into those cars. So with uh, those three Enduros under his belt from last year and a bit more testing this year, I think he'll make further strides forward again. Probably the biggest question mark for him and Todd Kelly is the Nissan package. We've seen that it's been a little bit hit and miss this year. They do have their engine upgrades coming online, probably for stand-down. If not to stand down, then you'd expect them to be at Bathurst. So um, I think that will hopefully, for their sake, allow them to improve. With the Volvo team, with McLaughlin and Premier, we saw that they were struggling a bit, McLaughlin, at the beginning of the year, but he's had 
pole position at Townsville, pole position at Sydney Motorsport Park. So looks like they're starting to find some speed out of the car again. Probably their biggest Achilles sale at the moment is reliability. We've seen that they've had some mechanical problems this year. And with the endurance races being the longest races of the year, that's never really something that you, um, you know, want to have problems leading into the endurance races mechanical-wise. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars, but don't forget you can hear Inside Supercars online and also through Stitcher. Stitcher available in millions of automobile automobiles around the world. So as you're driving along, Stefan, you can listen to a replay of this or any of the other Inside Supercar shows. We'll return in just a few moments here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bolt Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Joining me, Stephen Bartholomew and Lachlan Mansell. And interesting, whilst we had some testing going on this week, Erebus, Stefan, decided not to go out. Obviously, I I think they've got one day with Will Davison left up their sleeve and they're concentrating on Bathurst. Yeah, so they've run two days already for Ash Walsh because he gets two rookie days. Um, And that uh, still leaves them with their test day that every team gets one private test day where they can run all of their cars. Um, in this case, too. And they had actually booked the day uh, today, um, like right at the beginning of the season, that they were going to share with Red Bull and Techno. Um, but there's, uh, there's obviously been a fair bit of bit of rationalisation, shall we say, go on at Erebus during the year. And um, obviously they've, they've trimmed trimmed a bit out of it here and there, including including staff a couple of months ago. They, they, um, they rolled that, that back and... They're just being a bit careful with uh, where they spend their money. Obviously, they, they could have could have gone testing if they wanted to, but just in the in the cycle they've got going on with their uh, machinery, including their engines, which they're still still working on a new another upgrade for that. Um, they rolled out the last ones at Albert Park, obviously, and you know they, they were all right there for a while. And, and Will won a race, obviously, at Barbagallo, but they've just sort of not had that top five pace in the last last few events. So. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in the team, including the drivers, would have loved to have gone testing. You feel a bit sorry for Jack LeBrock because he's uh, he's a rookie in uh, in the main series. He's getting good laps in DVS and has done a couple of practice sessions in the Merck. But um, I'm sure he, more than anyone, would have loved to have had a day out at QR, burning around before Sandown. Mm. And also, it was an interesting strategy, Lachlan. We talked about testing the new soft tyres at the beginning of the show, where Wing Cup was in a ride car. Of course, Tuesday, he was out in a new chassis run. Well, I think he actually did his uh, shakedown runs on Monday and then actually did the testing with the car on Tuesday. Yeah, well, again, I think that you get some extra allocated time, like an extra shakedown session as part of the testing allocation if you go to a new car. 
which is what they're doing for Wind Cup ahead of Sandown. So it was in Red Bull Racing Australia's interest to, to use that to get some track time in the new car. It'll be interesting to see, and we probably won't have a too good an idea of it until Sandown, but to see if there are any improvements with Wind Cup going to that new car, because the car of the future is still in its... Well, um, new generation car, as it's called now, is still in its fairly early stages of development. I think the improvements from one chassis to the next upgrade and one might be a bit more pronounced than what they were with the previous specification car. So it wouldn't surprise me if you actually see some quite wholesale improvements with this new car. And it'll be just uh, interesting to quantify exactly how much of an improvement it is over the old one. I'm sure they've had a look, and if uh, if not anyone else, Ludo Lacroix, uh, Stefan has been having a good look at how uh, for performance, ra- uh, sorry, ProDrive Racing Australia have uh, done the development on the FGX. Yeah, well, as, as we know, it's a, it's a control chassis these days with, with Car of the Future since the start of 2013. So, you know, you can't redesign the cage um, and, and bits and pieces like you used to. Um, but they still like to bring out a fresh chassis every now and then. They, they get a bit tired, and I'm sure there's, there's bits around it that they still uh, still can improve. But certainly from uh, from today, it, it's not been an improvement. They uh, The car was dogged by vibration issues today, and I think it only did about 30 or so laps, um, which was certainly not not their plan, and they went through and changed everything except, except the engine, I believe, um, and still couldn't solve it. So... Uh, they're going to have to uh, have a bit of a decision before Sandown as to what they do with it. Mm, all right, so it sounds like they'll be uh, doing a fair bit of thinking there. Uh, Brian... There we go. Stefan, Stefan's now blown, torn my comments apart, so yep. it's one all in the tearing each other apart. <laughs> all right, we need to take a break here whilst uh, everyone resets to serve up some more here on Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where Lachlan Mansell and Stefan Bartholomeus in the spirit of the US Open that's currently underway, having uh, a few volleys back and forth with each other here. And uh, guys, uh, I'll go to Stefan first. A lot of reports, particularly out of the motoring uh, side of uh, the journalist sector has really been ramping up the talk about Lexus and their impending decision on whether they're in or out of V8 supercars come Gen 2. Yeah, this has certainly been a topic that um, was always going to float through the year because Lexus um, became the safety car um, provider for V8 supercars at the start of this year and they were quite open with the fact that they would use this, this two-year program that continues next year to <laughs> help them assess whether they want to 
um, commit to a racing Barrister Becomes program by 2017. Uh, when I spoke to Sean Hanley at the start of the year, the CEO there, he was uh, he, he seemed very ignorant of GT3 racing, but uh, more recent comments that uh, motoring press briefings indicate that he's done a lot of research on that side of it. Obviously, Lexus have uh, have a global program now in GT3, um, so that provides Lexus Australia with another avenue if they want to uh, if they want to be involved in motorsport in Australia and um, get the benefits of it. They uh, they could go either way. It is a big spend to do a V8 Supercars program, as we all know, and um, certainly the way the rules have been with the car in the future, there's uh, a bit of a question mark as to whether you can get it get something that's not a Falcon or a Comet or competitive with the way the rules have kind of been set out. So um, yeah, they, they've sort of um, indicated that uh, they'll know within the next next month, next few weeks, whether uh, whether they're going to make the leap, but. Um, It'd be a big commitment from them. Mm. Now, Lockie, of course, Toyota have committed to the 86 program, and you have to wonder where you can put a safety car out on the track and at least get one showing each race for a full course caution. Um, perhaps that's a better spend of money where you've got uh, buyer drives in 86 and then uh, a safety car program in the main game. Yeah, I'm actually intrigued about how the Toyota 86 series is going to go. We have seen some of the prototype 86s doing a bit of testing of Wakefield Park as they look to lock down the mechanical specifications and technical regulations of those cars for the series next year. I believe that Neil Crompton's involved in managing the series, so a bit of a side project for him on top of his other various media commitments as well. So I think there's some good people involved in it, and unlike some of the other one-make series that have supported the V8 supercars in the past, such as the Mini Challenge, the old MoPro Australia MG and Lotus series, the good thing about the Toyota 86 series is it does come with that factory backing from Toyota. So whereas the other series struggled on for a few years and then failed for one reason or another, I think this one, with the manufacturer support, actually has a better chance of succeeding and being sustainable. Mm. You have to wonder if Cams was managing the series, would it be a championship, Stefan? Well, Since Carrera Cup can't get that status. It's a pertinent point, and I believe that uh, Cams may have even uh, put a bid in the tender process to category manage the 86s, and uh, Crompton won that tender. Yep, so, yeah, well, they did. They got overlooked for... Uh, Neil's management style. Yeah, I think Ferrex uh, put a hat in the ring too. So, um, but as as Lockie said, um, Neil is uh, category manager, and um, with Neil Crompton looking after the sporting side, and Neil Bates Motorsport looking after the technical side, uh, it's certainly quite a formidable uh, partnership to be bringing a new series to the table. I think the, the best thing, though, for the supercars clearly is. Um, anything that brings Toyota as a manufacturer into the V8 Supercars paddock, into the events. Um, it, they're obviously not, not involved in the main show, but uh, as an entree, potentially, that uh, could uh, could be tasty. Mm. Now, Nissan is also a team that there is still speculation on their future. It's hard to believe that with the amount of money that they've spent to set this up, that people would be questioning whether they'd go on in 2017. Yeah, I guess you can't spend uh, good money after bad. Like if it's if it's determined that um, the next spend, it, it's what value you get out of the next bit. I think that's that's the important part. Um, I, I'd still be very surprised if they don't go on though. Um, it's 
that again, that's going to be decided in the next in the next couple of weeks. Um, but New Zealand have made it clear that, that motorsport is part of their strategy globally. And to be honest, I mean, you can do something good as as Nissan already do around the Bathurst all out, and you can sort of have customer bits and pieces in um, in GTs, but it's not going to give you anything like the media footprint the V8 supercars do. Let's mm. face it. So um, yeah, I think the the big ticket items of whether they do it, I'd expect so, and whether they continue with Kelly's, I'd very much expect they would as well. Mm. Um, but we we have to wait and see what the uh, what the outcome is. And and again, there was you know all sorts of Hollywood talk in, in some some stories about GDRs and whatever. But I certainly expect they'll stay with the Altima and, and most likely with the V8 as well. Because as as you say, they put a lot of money into that, so uh, they need to get a bit more return on that. Yeah, it's all, it'll almost be putting the baby out with the bathwater, Lockie. Exactly right. They've invested so much into the V8 engine in the Altima now that. It would be a big waste of all the development that they've done to move to a different engine configuration. They would, if they were to go to a different engine configuration, they would essentially be going all the way back to square one and uh, <clears throat> having to do the development all over again to become competitive. So, yep, I think Stefan's on the money. I think they'll stay with the Altima and stay with the V8. And the other thing is, of course, they've got to put the engine up for... Um got to put the engine up for a new engine up for um, homologation and parity and I think they might feel that after the last time we did this and got burnt so badly why would we do that again and just have them nobble us for the you know for the foreseeable future now that leads us in of course to Volvo and Lockie what would what would it mean if V8 Supercars was to lose Nissan or Volvo come Gen 2 um, I think the bigger question is, <clears throat> obviously a manufacturer loss wouldn't be a good thing, but how it would then affect the teams that um, represent those manufacturers at the moment. So in the case of Nissan, Kelly Racing, and in the case of Volvo, Gary Rogers Motorsport, and uh, what the alternative would be. So would we see a new manufacturer come into the sport when we see those teams disappear altogether, when we see them go back to an existing manufacturer like Holden or Ford, I think they're the questions that you would have to ask if either Nissan or Volvo were to withdraw. Well, uh, Stefan, can the mechanical failures that Volvo have been feeling be turned around here before the Enduros? Yeah, well, that's a big question, and I don't think the team can answer that with any confidence. So I would... Uh much the fool if I tried to, but um, it's it's been uh, one of the stories of the year that um, that it started right right back in Adelaide when Scotty had a failure on the uh, on the warm up lap for the very first race, um, and a lot of that was uh, was was sort of bearing issues that they eventually feel like they they resolved, but aren't completely confident even now. Gary Rogers was saying on speakfa.com the other day that um, it's yeah, quite typically frank, open, honest Gary was that um, it really does hang over their heads going into these long races. They've had all sorts of niggly things happen since the Volvo package came in at the start of 2014 with alternators and and bits and pieces, which has sort of been blamed partly on, on the vibration that you get from the Volvo engine with its flat plane crank and the 
60 degree bank angle um, and they feel like they're on top of that but they're still working on their locking structures and even parts flow from Polestar in, in Sweden because it's done quite differently to, to what most of the VO teams obviously doing their stuff either in-house or with an Australian supplier and you know, the Ford and the Chev engines have been around for so long now that it's, uh, everyone knows how they work but um, these Volvos have sort of Taken, taken longer to uh, get on top of. Mm. And uh, I guess we're we're just surprised that when we're talking about these failures now, we didn't see them in the first year. Why is why is the same engine with the same flat plane crate now shaking bits off the car? Yeah, I mean I, they did have those sort of dramas last year, um, but it, it was the the fundamental engine failures that they weren't having on track last year that they have this year. And, and trust me, the, very, the question you just asked, I've asked Gary like 100 times through the year. I'm surprised he hasn't clocked me in the head. And he always just says, we, we honestly don't know. And when, when teams are struggling with things that they're, they're not fixing, that, that keep happening, clearly they don't know because they, they would have fixed it otherwise. And otherwise. the problem is you, you tighten one nut, Lockie, and the next nut comes loose. <laughs> yeah, well, we say that in race car development all the time, don't we? Um, you develop one area of the car to make it stronger and all it does is it exposes a weakness in another area of the car and it seems that Volvo and Gary Rogers Motors Ford are going through a bit of that painful process at the moment. What is a bit concerning though is that some of the components and in particular the engines have been the same sort of failure on multiple occasions. That's the real concerning aspect of it. Mm. All right, a break here on Inside Supercars. When we return, we'll talk about a good friend of Lockie's, Russell Ingall. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And And you're you're listening listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. I somewhat facetiously talked about Lachlan Mansell and Russell Engel in the same sentence as being cordial, but uh, anyway, I will let that run its course. Stefan, is it cheap and because you needed someone quick, or is it the only person that was available that can drive one of these cars at speed that Russell Ingle is jumping into a HRT? Well, I'm certainly keen to hear what uh, what Lockie thinks about this one, considering he spent some time with Russell uh, working at Walshaws as a PR, but... Um, in this particular case, it's it's hard to uh, hard to say because you don't know what all of their options were. Um, you know, there was a, a logical option like Ryan Briscoe sitting there who had um, sort of had some chats with with Lucas Umbrella Motorsport even in the in the weeks leading up to up to where we are now um, about doing it. So he was he was certainly touted as a possibility. But um, I mean, Russell, I'll be honest, like. At the start of the year, I was surprised he did a Foxtel deal that meant he couldn't do the Enduros because certainly first year out of full-time driving, there's been a lot of guys who have proven in the past 
Paul Dumbrell, perfect example in, in 2012, that um, they can just rock back into Sandown and be pretty much on the money. It's not until you get second year out, like what happened with PD, that you're quite rusty and and not quite quite with it if you're not doing regular racing. So I certainly think from a performance point of view that um, Russell is, is going to do quite well as a co-driver and Naturally, with James Courtney's situation, we don't know when he's going to come back. So the fact that Russell is local and he could possibly do Bathurst as well and maybe even Gold Coast would have uh, would have factored into it. But, um, yeah, certainly a lot of us in the industry, knowing how the Walk and Shaw-Ingle relationship ended there at the end of 2013, there was a lot of animosity in both directions. Um, when, that all, when that all came to a close... Um, a lot of people were surprised to, to see that he's going to be driving for him again. Lachlan, you were right there in the mix in 2013. <laughs> yeah, and, and I agree with the last part of Stefan's comment there. I was as surprised, if not more surprised, than anybody when the announcement was made, I have to say. But clearly, I, I do agree with what Stefan said. Russell does have that r- recent racing experience and miles in V8 supercars although he didn't exactly cover himself in glory last year with Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, especially in the endurance races and particularly at Bathurst where he caused that big accident with Lee Holdsworth at Griffin's Bend, um, if you remember. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the Holden Racing Team run their strategy stand out and whether um, Jack Perkins takes on the role of pseudo-league driver and, and Russell just slots in as the co-driver. You would probably expect that to be the case, given that Jack's already had the one race meeting under his belt at Sydney Motorsport Park. Probably the other interesting aspect of the story is that it's going to be Russell's first race start in a Holden Racing Team factory-backed Commodore. You, you think back to the early part of Russell's career when he was driving with Perkins Motorsport, and the Holden Racing Team were always the arch rivals. And then again, when he drove the Stone Brothers as well, now, finally, in what looks like it's going to be the, maybe the last ever V8 supercar races of his career, the guys going to be with the factory Holden team, which is just an extraordinary turn of events. Some might say that in 2013, he still treated them like the enemy. <laughs> oh, you said it, Craig. I did indeed. Um, so I, I honestly don't see... I see Perkins being the late lead driver for HRT probably through to... Oh, I've got to say, I really think this could be a season ender. And there's no point in James Courtney racing back to um, try and get back in the car. He's got to get himself healthy. Yeah, but uh, he's a racing car driver and I certainly wouldn't like to be around him if he's kept at home for months on end. He's... Uh He'd be getting a bit edgy wanting to get back in the car. So um, only only those inside that camp will know know how he's tracking and, and when he's ready. I yeah, haven't but, seen Not him. only that, sorry, sorry Craig, just, just, just as an aside, not only that, but um, he's a very passionate supporter of the Penrith Panthers rugby league team who are on target to probably end up with wooden spoon this year. So he won't have a team to cheer on in the rugby league finals which are coming up either. You used to get your best interviews with Brock when Collingwood were getting pumped because um, Wally Weissel, would you, would, uh, when you put an interview request in, Wally would see how the uh, Collingwood game's going and then just to take his mind off it, he'd arrange the interview when they're getting pumped. And back in the, uh, in the uh, 70s and 80s, 
That was quite regularly. Um, and, and in 2015, I might add. <laughs> well, not, not that they've been pumped all that much, but uh, they certainly haven't won all the games. Mm. All right. Um, just to wrap this up, I haven't heard, and Stefan, you might know more, but I haven't heard that, um, that James has been released from hospital yet. Yeah, he, he went home on the Tuesday after Sydney Motorsport Park. So okay. he spent um, the first day or so at Westmead and then was transferred to a more private facility there. And then uh, his old man drove him back home to the Gold Coast. Uh, yeah, because with a lung injury, you can't fly yeah, because of the pressurisation. A few weeks where he couldn't fly, so uh, had to uh, take one of the sponsor's product home. And uh, Muscle Car Masters are on this weekend, Father's Day weekend, huge, huge crowds at Sydney Motorsport Park. What is it, Lockie, that this event can draw a huge crowd that the previous major event at the track couldn't? I think it appeals to a different demographic, to be honest, Craig. I think that for Muscle Car Masters, you get a lot lot of older spectators who enjoy the historical aspect of the race meeting, whereas... The V8 Supercars doesn't appeal to that demographic so much. V8 Supercars, I think, is targeted as a younger audience. And as we see so often in Sydney, not just for V8 Supercars and motor racing, but for other sporting events as well, people in Sydney just cannot be bothered to travel to events. And I don't know if that's because the the roads are not great and the traffic can be congested and the public transport isn't that great at delivering people directly to venues, but it's just Sydney-siders are not as eager to go and attend events live as, say, people in Melbourne or Brisbane. Um, But Muscle Car Masters, yeah, you're right, it always does seem to attract a pretty healthy crowd and should be a good event this weekend. One of the the highlights, I think, is the return of Neil Crompton to circuit racing for what will be his first circuit race meeting since the 2010 Eastern Creek eight-hour production car race, which he exited in quite spectacular circumstances when his car caught fire in pit lane. Stefan, what, what's your take on it? Because the, the younger guys of Western Silly like their cars fully sick, mate. Um, I'm glad you said that rather than me, but uh, I, um, I would love to offer you a detailed answer, but I'm going to suggest that you call me back next week because I've not been to the Muscle Car Masters before, but I'm going this year. So I will see for myself what brings these great crowds to the event. Um, yeah, obviously we were only there a week and a half ago for V8s, and it was noticeably uh, free of spectators in a lot of areas. There certainly weren't even that many in the in the main grandstand, which you do have to pay 30 bucks, I think, more than the GA ticket to get in there, which is maybe something they can look at. But, um, yeah, like on, on paper, Muscle Car Masters just good variety of cars categories things to look at good day out the father's day thing seems to work for them um so yeah i'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing how it rolls out hmm. all right a break and then a final thought or observation here on inside supercars join in the conversation post your thoughts on our facebook page and to ask a question email insiders at sportradio.com.au 
Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to grab, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Lachlan Mansell, a final thought or observation? Final thought is just like to say big congratulations to Matt Simmons, who won the Nissan GT Academy competition, the Australian driver. So he actually went all the way. He didn't win the final, but he got awarded, awarded to him by the judges course, they decided that he was the best overall performer. I do feel a bit sorry for Josh Muggleton, who was another Australian who came very close to winning the competition last year and missed out at the very final hurdle. But, um, yeah, great to see Matt Simmons going all the way in the Nissan GT Academy and I look forward to seeing what he can do in Nissan GT cars in the future. Mm. Well, Stefan, I, I might have to get you back next week because we didn't talk about ProDrive taking up the 12-hour options or looking at 12-hour options, or Will Davison going rallycrossing, which uh, certainly the details are there at speedcafe.com. But a final thought from you. Um, I think um, just where we are, obviously, it's exciting every time we get into this time of year with the Enduros coming up. But um, this year, there'll be some more excited than ever because free-to-air, be it supercar, live racing action has been few and far between so far this year under the new media rights deal and now we go into a part of the season where we've got Sandown, Bathurst and Gold Coast um, all on 10 live so um, hopefully the uh, the viewers that have not uh, had Foxtel uh, will come back to us for, for Sandown and haven't, haven't been lost and um, that's obviously a very serious part of this year how, um, you know, there's been so much about TV ratings where, you know, people interpret them different ways and their supercars are spinning their cumulative average where you count every minute separately and add, add the averages or something and all of a sudden you've got more people than in the world actually watching it. Um, so, yeah, like um, this time of year also there's so many cars without full sponsorship packages for next year. So some momentum over the next couple of months with some massive TV ratings hopefully um, can help uh, help smooth over some of the uh, concerns that are currently floating around. Mm. All right. Um, I'm actually going to give you a final thought or observation. In light of the AFL's amazing uh, television package, which included Foxtel and Channel 7, the interesting piece there was Foxtel has the right to on-sell one game every week. This is because Foxtel is about to become the major owner of 10 and Fox Sports on 10 is going to become a reality. Will we see any on... or do we have any on-sale rights in the V8 Supercars television package from Foxtel? It'll be an interesting one to follow. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Stefan Bartholomeus and Lachlan Mansell, thanks for joining us once again. What was the score at the end, Craig? I think it was uh, two sets apiece, and we'll have to take it to the uh, final set next time round. 
Very diplomatic. I like it. <laughs> Cheers, guys. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.